Hey everyone, it's Robert here. Have you ever had one of those times where you're sitting there listening to somebody and you can just feel the passion in their voice? Well, that happened tonight when I had the opportunity of having Brian Myers on the podcast. Some of you may know him as the Bearded Brian or Raise the Black or some of the other social media sites and such that he ends up running. But Brian and I had an opportunity to talk about not only his career, but some of the great things that he has going on. So sit back and relax and get ready to enjoy another Mentors for Military podcast. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. Hey, what's up, Brian? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Not much, man. Freaking, I got my hands in everything right now, just trying to survive. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I'm doing. I mean, between the Mentors for Military, the company, and then my other uh, consulting gig, and then the podcast on top of that, it's uh, like spinning plates at times. And I, I know you know what I'm talking about. I guess Lauren wasn't able to make it, so he's down in uh, Puerto Rico. Is he going down there to help clean up? or? Uh, yeah, he he's going down there. He does assessments. So he just got down there last week, I believe. Okay. And he's been he's been going, man. Ever since the hurricane, man, he's him and his family have nonstop been going. It's pretty awesome to see. You know, they they were affected a little bit. You know, his uh, stepmom's house was destroyed. Oh God! But other outside of that, I mean, he his whole family's been really proactive on helping people. So it's been pretty cool to see. And now, you know, he took a job doing assessments, and that way he could be involved with the community and. That led to uh, Puerto Rico, so you got to love it, man. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I mean, that's you know, it's kind of part of that whole service stuff, you know, for us in the military. We always try to find some way to give back, you know? Exactly, exactly, man. And, I mean, that's that's what I live my life doing now, you know? It's it's all about uh, it's all about giving back, man. Well, that's, that's us as well. I mean, you know, we don't get paid to do this. We just basically get together and try to find ways to uh, bring stories like yours Maybe it would be good for us to go ahead and kick this thing off and, you know, for you to tell a little bit about what it is that you, uh, your background is. Of course, I know you were, you were in third group. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I spent my entire career in third group. Uh, I was actually one of the original SF babies. No lie. Yeah. I came in straight off the streets. Uh, you can, you can look at my transcripts when I was like, yeah, chump deuces (laughs) to college, man. Uh, it was I didn't really want to go to college, but uh, yeah. my, it was real big for my father that I go. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Texas. Texas, North, okay. Yeah, North Texas, small town Texas. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Up there with cattle country. Going. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, it was that was what it was. So I went to college. Uh, it wasn't for me, and I knew it wasn't for me. So I enlisted with a ranger contract. and. Uh, oh, okay. So you didn't go 18 x-ray then. No, I went. I was like I said, one of the originals. There was the uh, the test class, and then our we were the first official class. Wow! So you were like the original regiment. Yeah, yeah. So I thought uh, you meant like the original. I, w- I don't first... want to take that away from the other six, <laughs> the six guys prior, the, the test class, because those dudes were legit, man. But uh, yeah, we were the first official official class. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I'm friends with all those guys, as you can imagine. I mean, we oh, we yeah. all suffered together. Yeah, no uh, lie. But yeah, so that was it. I came in with an 11X contract, uh, got picked up an airborne holdover to try over, uh, try out a new, new program with five other, five other guys. 
And uh, so you knew nothing about this when you came in. So you you no. came in on the Ranger contract. You're sitting there. You finish basic training. You get held over to go to Airborne's, and uh, obviously because you got the Ranger contract, you're you're hopefully going to make it to Rip and yeah, uh, get your exactly. uh, yeah. So you're over there in uh, in, in Range. I mean in uh, Airborne school, and then somebody comes up and and pitches the idea. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, so we were actually in uh, Airborne Hold at the same battalion that we graduated basic in. So we were there for a couple of weeks because they didn't have room to go to oh. Airborne School. Okay. So we were there hanging out, and this SF recruiter shows up, and he's like, "Hey, we're looking for volunteers." Uh, and he, of course, he had the scores yeah. handed to him from commander, and he picked five of us, and he asked, you know, "Hey, this is." He laid out the pipeline. You know, this is you go to these couple things, and if you made it, you go to selection. And then if you make it in selection, you go straight into the pipeline to become a Green Beret. What year was now, this? Uh, 2001. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was in basic when the towers fell. Okay. So, wow. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, man, it was like, I looked at the recruiter. I'm like, so you're telling me all I have to do is go through this process. <laughs> and if I make it, I'm a Green Beret. Like, yeah, that's, that, that's all I got to do? Yeah. Yeah, and he was like, yeah, that's pretty much it. And I looked at Sparky, which became one of my closest friends ever. Um, we met in basic. But, uh, yeah, man, I was like, dude, we're doing this. And all five of us went, and we all made it. So, Well, that's remarkable in itself. Yeah, it was it was a good time, man. Um, it was it was chaotic at best. Yeah. Uh, you had a lot of guys that, I, I won't say like tab protector type mentality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was just they didn't agree with it. And I, you know... It was through those hardships that those disagreements that led us to, I mean, the guys I went through with are some of the most solid guys I've ever known as, as SF guys, team guys. And it was because of that, that close knit, like, Hey, you're going to, if you're coming in, you're going to earn it. Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, I would imagine you had to earn it. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, you think back in the day, it was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was you had to be at least an E4, and you had to have two years active military service, I think it was, or more, before you could even apply for SFAS. Yep, and, and then uh, you could be an E4, but you had to be promotable. Promotable. That's why I was going to say yeah. that. I just couldn't remember if that was the case. And so, yeah, because the whole idea was when you made it through Q. They wanted to pin E five on you, and not yes. and six not too long after that. I mean, if they could, they wanted to rush that process because you know. Exactly. And that's those are you know what's funny you bring that up is uh, outside of just the constant smoke fest because they didn't really have the curriculum ironed out as as in typical military fashion. Yeah, you know, yeah. like hey, we, yeah, this is what we're gonna do. Yeah, we're we're gonna hey, sounds plan. good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, I mean, I learned uh, the whole we're we're building this plane in flight like yeah. as a private in the Q course, like yeah, but. Uh, so that was one of the other issues outside of, like I said, the rigorous just smokings. Um, when we did get our berets, you know, we'd always get stopped by the MPs because we'd be <laughs> e- E3s, E4s wearing green berets. Of course, they're just like, yeah, what is this? So you'd have commanders, you'd have sergeants, you'd have everybody like, who, what, what is this? And you yeah. have to explain and you usually got smoked, but, you know, inside you just laugh because you're just like, whatever, man, I'm. So did you end up carrying your orders with you all the time in your back pocket and going, Hey dude, here it is. You know? I enjoyed it. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, it, cause it's just one of those like, Hey, you can do it all you want, but you're not ta- like nothing you can do. 
yeah. can amount to anything I've already gone through. Yeah, so no whatever, lie. man. Give it your best. I mean, we had one day. I'll never forget until the day I die. We showed up at 6 o'clock PT formation. They didn't have anything for us to do. So for the next 24 hours, they just tag team cadre. And we just <laughs> PT'd nonstop. And they, we got to, we got to eat for fifteen minutes, and then I mean you just puked it back up. But that sounds more it, like Ranger Bath than SF here. Are you sure you were in the right command headquarters? It was it was brutal, man. But <laughs> it was worth it, you know. And uh, I made I made seven in six years. Wow! Uh, it was a it was a steep learning curve. I was I was looked at for my first E eight board uh, in nine years. Dang! Uh, yeah, that is I got, fast. I got chewed out by uh, uh, Sergeant Major Bear via conference call from while I was in Iraq because I blew off ANOC, you know, and, uh, for obvious reasons, you know, yeah. when I was in, in the early days, you didn't have to have ANOC to make EEA because we're out of war. Mm-hmm. So you're multiple as long as you, uh, completed ANOC within the first year of be- making the list. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that obviously changed and I still had that mentality and to be perfectly honest, like when, when the Sergeant Major was like, hey, so what do you have to say for yourself? I'm like, Sergeant Major, honestly, if I make eight, I'm at eight in ten years. I can't I can't get over two years of team time. I know this for a fact because I've all I've lived is on the team. Right, right. So you're telling me at twelve years, maybe twelve and a half years, I'm no longer operational for the rest of my special forces career. He was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, I don't care how selfish that is. That's just not me. Like, I, I'm yeah. a team guy. And uh, so he he was pretty cool about it. Uh, the whole command staff, I can't, you can't argue it. Yeah. Just like my E6 board, I, I told this story before, but uh, I was on the ODA, you know, I was on my team. I told my team, hey, I'm not going to the board. Uh, it just doesn't make sense because I was deploying in a couple weeks. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to the board. I don't have time to deal with this. It's just E6. I'll do it when we get back. Yeah. Not realizing that that's not how the Army works. Right. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the day of the board, uh, I'm in Ranger panties and flip-flops in the team room doing my loadout. And this private shows up, man, and he's just sweating bullets. He didn't want to, you know, now he has, he's knocking on our door. And, of course, we're fucking with him. And uh, so we're messing with him. And. Long story short, he's like, hey, Sergeant Major wants you. You're reporting to the board. I'm like, I'm not going to the board. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah you are. So I grabbed my class A because I still had them ready. And uh, he's like, no, 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 as as you are. No way. Uh, yeah, so I showed up <laughs> to the board. I reported just like you're supposed to. And they, I came in. I'm in Ranger Pains and flip-flops, man. And I sit down, and it's just for like 45 minutes. Every Sergeant Major and Master Sergeant is just, in first off, is berating me, man. And I'm pissed. I'm like, I'm not like scared. I'm just furious at the situation. And finally, Sergeant Major Putnam's like, "Hey, Sergeant Myers, what are you, you look pretty pissed. You, what do you have to say for yourself? Because this isn't the reaction I really expected." I'm like, "Well, I gotta admit, Sergeant Major, I'm, I'm furious." He's like, "Why?" I was like, "Well, what do I get out of this board? I make E6. I'm already doing the job as an E7 because I'm the senior on the team. Because I'm the only Charlie. So, outside of getting paid more." I get nothing because I already had the responsibility. So I don't care <laughs> No, about you the, didn't. Yeah. I was like, I don't I don't care about the pay. So what difference does it make that I'm at your board other than I personally gain when I'm taking away from me packing my team out right now? And they all just looked at each other and were like, 
you're good to go. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I, I got nothing. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, and then, you know, I, I deployed a couple weeks later and Sergeant Major Putnam came out on a ring flight after the first month in the country to check on us or within the first month. And I avoided him like the plague, man. We had horses, so I was out there when they flew in. I just went to the, the horses. I knew it stinks, so I knew they wouldn't come out there. <laughs> but he tracked me down, man. And, I, you know, the horse stable was on it. It was on the side of a hill. So uh, I'm hired. So I can see the whole camp from yeah. where I'm at. Yeah. And uh, so I'm kind of avoiding him the whole time. And he finally caught me. He's like, hey, man, my plane or my helicopter will be here in about five minutes. I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> and, uh he, I was like, he's like, well, what do you, I've been looking for you. What do you need out here? I was like, well, Sergeant Major, you know, honestly, I thought after our last interaction, like, I that was the last you wanted to see me. Yeah. yeah. That, that's water under the bridge, man. And, you know, we talked about some of the stuff we needed because I was getting pushed back for buying the things, as you can imagine, because not too many people are buying stable material yeah. and horse, you know, horse type supplies in Afghanistan. So <laughs> a lot of my stuff was getting kicked back, as you can imagine. And, uh, so he's he helped me with that, and he's like, "Oh, by the way, you know, as he's walking off, he's like, you promote first of the month." I was like, "Oh shit!" So, <laughs> uh, oh, that's so a great it, story, though. So it was a definitely interesting career, to say the least. You know, I often tell people when they ask me about my career, you know, I was I was a pretty good SF guy. I was a shitty soldier. Yeah, like. I wasn't raised with, I don't care about my boots. I don't care about my hair. And, you know, that's a lot of, that's what's the beautiful, beautiful thing about ISOF is when I showed up in Missoula, uh, as a civilian last year, I lived with them, you know, and they were straight just like us. Yeah. Like there's, they're, they don't care about their uniforms. They don't care about anything, but they're damn good at their job. Right. So it right. was, it was just a beautiful thing to see. Like <laughs> it's the ultimate green beret accomplishment is like we made this force they're doing great things they're saving their country we started that and, and they're, they're just, just like you <laughs> you know we went in uh, we were living on the outskirts in a safe house uh while i was there and, and we went and visited i went to the front lines against isis with them and they were pushing and they were constantly pushing and this is when they right before uh old missile kicked off they pushed uh they pushed, they consolidated ISIS into one local area, and I was there for that push. But what's funny is they kept, you know, they kept adjusting the front lines as they should. Yeah. And they, they stayed with their front line. And they're like, hey, come up here. You know, I was like, I don't know, man. I don't want to be inconvenienced. You're, you're already sucking at life anyway. You know, you're dealing with this stuff. ISIS right. pops up out of tunnels everywhere. And uh, plus, you know, I'm not going to lie. I like the AC back to the safe house. He's like, oh, bro, we have AC. Don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> We clear blocks, we go through those, we consolidate everything, the TVs, the ACs, and we all set it up. I was like, That's yep, great. You're, you're straight SF guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, you got to take me back because, okay, here you are, you're on your, I guess what, first or second deployment, you get your E6 and everything. Where was the point where you guys got the mission to go ahead and start training the ISOP? So I was, uh, I didn't get involved with ISOF until 2007. Okay. That's, I'd already done um, three trips to Afghanistan at that point. And with third, uh, first battalion, third group. And then after that third deployment to Afghanistan, I switched to B-23. Um, and they had received the mission in 2000, uh, 2003 officially to stand up to ISOF. Oh, wow. That, okay. I didn't know it was quite that early. 
and that's when they were uh, still training in Jordan, doing the assessments and everything. And gotcha. uh, they would fly them to Jordan. They'd do the training. They'd come out. Uh, I won't get into any details of no, 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 how yeah. that. Uh, you know, and I don't want everyone to take away from those guys that yeah. stood them up. Those guys, they're they're legends in our own right. I mean, they they are the ones that stood up ice off, and I have nothing. But I got to luckily, I got to train or work under a few of them that that were still around. Yes, yeah, nice. So I got to experience, you know, the hardcore guys in Afghanistan, and then I got to, you know, uh, experience the hardcore dudes in I saw or in Iraq. So it was pretty cool, man. I had a a great great career. And so they were doing that in 2003, and it was just rotate. What made it really successful, in my own opinion, is it was a constant back and forth between third and fifth, third and fifth, third and fifth. You know, some other kind came and play every once in a while, but it was that constant relationship. I mean, even when I went in July as a civilian, they welcomed me in because I was the B23 guy. Yeah. On the front lines, when I'm with some of the original commanders, because you got to think they they had a I think it was an 87% attrition rate from the originals. Oh wow! So yeah, they've lost a lot of guys since the whole ISIS uh, issue. But the guys that are still there, they're all in charge now. All the younger guys are now in charge, and they still know. Like they're telling me roster numbers that have passed away. They're asking about every one of the guys by name, and it's you know it's it's a a bond in a relationship that I think is really undermined, I guess mm-hmm. uh, the, the government doesn't realize how successful that mission was uh, by the U S perspective. Um, but at the same time, we broke a lot of rules, not official rules, but guidelines per se, when it came to the way we raised them, you know, there's specific guidelines that you follow for training and you're supposed to have this kind of this cut cloth, you know, we go in, you do something, you forgive and forget, type, you know, you fire and forget type of thing. Right. But we do that. We stayed in touch with them. Um, we, we kept those relationships alive because we were there constantly. We know their families. We know we know their kids. We know everything about them, just like they know the majority of our stuff. Uh, so it was a true brotherhood. It wasn't just this fire and forget mission. And I think that's what made the, the thing, the interaction stick. No, it totally makes sense, especially since it was has been going on for such a long period of time. I guess I didn't realize it had been quite that long. I mean, we're going on what fifteen years? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, that's a. I mean, that's quite a relationship, and I think it's hard anyway to kind of go in and not build that kind of relationship, not build that bond. As many times you're going in with these guys, you know, you're, you're just going to have that because you want them to have your back. You have their back. That trust level is there. You know, and it's it's just a, a common, um, you have a common theme, a common mission. Yeah, it, and that's, that was the beauty of it is, you know, when Lauren and I had first discussed Raise the Black, you know, and Lauren wanted to do something with some T-shirts, and I wasn't really grasping it. You know, I have a lot of projects going on around the world as it is, and, you know, I have some construction stuff and just a ton of things. And he, he bugged me for a while and finally one day he caught me when i had some time and you know he's basically like i want to do this for the guys and i was like i don't really see it lauren i'm not really seeing what you're saying so we had a three and a half hour phone call you know i blew off a lot of work that day and uh because i was brainstorming my mom was trying to run on how we could do this in a way that we could benefit everything Right. And 
instead of just giving t-shirts to the guys, uh, what could we do? So that's, that's when I came up with the, uh, all right, we'll take the shirts instead of just giving to the guys, we're going to sell all this stuff and we'll take the profits and give it to the families. And, you know, he's like, perfect, man. That's it. But we can still do the high idea of giving the shirts forward. And they're, they're repping this, you know, this, our products downrange. It's a very unique business perspective. No one's really ever done it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that was just the beginning of it. Like people haven't really even got the experience, just this whole mindset of what we have going on. You know, this isn't about t-shirts and branding. This is a whole concept we have to further, further that relationship and bond that we had originally created with those guys. You know, I was in Iraq in 2007. I just left operation Medusa in Afghanistan, I took the time off and went to CAG selection. I was in the blizzard class. I walked 40 miles. I just didn't walk in the 40 miles they wanted. Didn't happen. I came back. I went to B23. Uh, shortly after that, I deployed. Again, all my experiences were Afghanistan, so it was a whole unique perspective. I mean, I was actually calling my buddies back in First Battalion, making fun of Iraq, because it was just I'm used to the old cowboys and Indians. Yeah. Uh, I don't even care if that's PC anymore. I doubt it. But uh, that was the way we lived, man. And there was no, there was, yes, there was control. There was AOs and AO commanders, but it was real loose. Like, there was just a 5W and you roll out the door. Of course, it got a little bit more complex over the years. But we're in Iraq, man. And it's like, you have to call 15 people to go into one part of Baghdad. And it was just ridiculous. And so I'm making fun of it. But then that... I was actually on a different side that was classified at the time. And we had a high casualty rate on the other side of B23 and um, on the white side. So they asked for volunteers. So I went over there and that's when I got my first taste of, you know, the ICTF and area four and that mission. And it was, dude, I was hooked, you know, just like everybody that goes there. It's a, it's SF. It's the dream at special forces DA mission because yeah. not only are you, you kicking indoors, but you're still doing FID, which a lot of SF guys have lost that whole FID mentality where, you know, it's boring because you're not getting your gun on. But there's a lot of the guys that understood that that's our mission is we're supposed to be training these guys and building right. militaries. We're not in the frontline mission. That's not we we're really good at it. That's why it's turned into that. But it's not our mission. So. You know, that's that's where I got my taste of it, man. So when you started working with these guys uh, at that time frame, who started the whole black flag and rate, you know, the rate, not the raise the black, the, the the organization and everything, but the fact that they travel in black vehicles, black that was, flag. That was their call. Really? Uh, okay. They had, they had the choices of what they wanted to do. And, you know, they work at night. That made sense to them. It looked cool. Uh it is you know, pretty cool. It's pretty wicked, actually. You know. You know what's what's funny about that is we've had so many people make fun of it, right? Over the, since the Raise the Black campaigns oh, come out, because yeah. no one even knew ISOP existed until ISIS and then uh, some news articles, and then we started pushing it. People were like, "Oh yeah, real smart to be hanging out and you know in Iraq and black during the day." I'm like, "Well, you don't understand. It, it's one. It's actually pretty ballsy. Yeah. And two, like they've earned it. So th- that was their choice and. Why the way that that ties into what Raise the Black is, is when they made the call to have black everything because they're they're they are one hundred percent supposed to be a nighttime tier one asset. Uh, so the black makes sense. 
But then ISIS rolled in, and Desh obviously took black. Everything they do is black. Even all their propaganda is that dark mentality because they're psychos. You know, the caliphate is, is psycho. If, I personally believe that if Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi had gone more subtle with his beliefs in Islam, ISIS would be way more powerful now than they would have been if they would have went – instead of going dark so fast. Wow. Because they're – I'm telling you, there's things that I wasn't even aware of. And not that it's classified. It's just not common knowledge. No one gives ISIS the respect they deserve. And I don't mean that as uh, – as a person or a, a, a belief system, I'm talking about their infrastructure. Like they were legitimate. They were a government. They make their own fuel. They have their own driver's license or DMV. They are 100% a functioning government or were until ISIS, or, uh, ISIS kicks them ass. But uh, so they were, they were legit. So they took the black and everybody started fearing that. Uh, and big beards, I found out while I was there. Uh, I kind of knew it, but I scared the crap out of a little girl that opened the door because I, I had a massive beard at the time. I felt horrible. Oh, <laughs> wow. I guess I didn't take the connection. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like I explained to them, the reason I, I decided to keep it was just like you took black back, you got to take everything. You got to take your yeah, culture back. Right. And they understood it, so that's why they didn't give me a hard time about it. But it hit home when that little girl started crying. Oh, no lie, man. But uh, even the ice cream wouldn't console her, so that was disappointing. But uh, <laughs> it was, I bet. So, you know, they're out there, uh, ISOPs out there, and they're they're they took some heavy casualties at first. Uh, still do take a significant amount, but nothing like an original. And you know, everybody's well aware of the the Iraqi army putting down their weapons and fleeing. But that's that's very oversimplified. The Iraqis didn't have support and they weren't trained as much as, as the American soldier likes to say, yeah, we trained them. It's ridiculous that they, they did this. You, you, there's a difference between training somebody and, and them retaining the, yeah, you, they, you might've trained them in a skill set, but you didn't give them the heart that yeah. we inspired within ISOF. And I'm not saying that we're the or, or that we that even do here in the in in the conventional military or in the military yes. in the U.S. the U.K. Yes. and and uh, you know our side, I, I think that there's a bit of that um, mentality that approach to what the military is, the culture that you obtain. Yes. You don't get that in just a short burst of training of here. Here's how to fire your weapon. This is how you wear a protective mask, yep. and you know. And then go out to another group of guys, and they're going to belittle you because. Yeah. We do a horrible job within the military of explaining culture, uh, and there's reasons behind. It. Don't get me wrong; I understand that yeah. you know you vilify the enemy because that's what you have to do for young people to shoot at other people. I mean, it's there's a process behind it. I get it. It's just wrong, in my personal opinion. Um, so they didn't have that connection. They didn't have. They had the training. This they they had some of the knowledge that they needed, but they didn't have the that sense of country that right. we helped instill. And again, I don't want to, we're not the reason ISOF was successful. They were successful because they carried the torch and, uh, they did a lot of things within themselves in their units, uh, to become successful. But I do like to think that we did take a, a good part of it. And, you know, we inspired a camaraderie and a belief in themselves that, you, you know, they didn't have before when they started running their own missions, you know, it, it became pretty apparent that these dudes are legit yeah, back no in lie. the day. 
And so that all built on itself. And that's where the raise to black came from, you know, is people made fun of it, didn't understand it. The, the country was failing. Uh, operations were failing. But the ones that were successful were ISOF. And the prime minister saw that. Everybody saw that. They, the only fighting chance we have is ISOF. And you, I know I'm, I, I know all my Peshmerga friends are just going to be furious <laughs> to hear me say that. Uh, the Kurds will be furious. But it, it's not about that. It, I'm talking about uh, the situation in hand. And it's, it's factual. Uh, I'm not taking it away from anything that these guys did, uh, the Pesh or the, uh, anybody else. But they didn't have that fire until it was kicked off by ISOF. And um, so that was where we came up with the race to black was we're going to take the black back from ISIS. This it's not your color. It's not, it's not your flag. This is their country. This is their rules. And we, we were pretty successful at it. You know, they, they raised the flat black flag of ours, uh, in Missoula. It was pretty cool to see yeah. on some of the trucks. Yeah. And you know, now the people see the black trucks and they know it's going to be all right. Um, I got a lot of video while I was there, as you can imagine, riding around. And it was really cool to see the response of the people when they see the black trucks coming. And, you know, these guys take their own money because they don't have the funds that we have. They take their own money and they'll go buy all the treats at a, at a, or at a little bazaar store. And they hand it out. They do their own CA missions. Right. And that's, and that's why... Raise the Black Works was when we presented the idea to some of these commanders for ISOF, um, they loved it. They, there was no ties to the government, the U.S. government. It, this was just a couple dudes that they knew. They Just like we vetted our – like I was getting messages from everybody, as you can imagine, from the Iraqi side. A lot of broken English, a lot of Arabic messages. And I was like, I don't know who these people are. <laughs> so uh, all offering to help me on that trip. And – you know, believe it or not, I planned my whole trip off of Iraqis. And oh, did you? Okay. I saw yeah. the the uh, videos and I saw a lot of the photos that you were putting up and uh, yeah. hanging out there with them and everything. Yeah. So it was pretty cool that, you know, that whole process happened and it was all 100% past relationships. They vetted me, I vetted them. And, uh, you know, of course you have to because I don't have the U.S. government say, hey, you can trust this guy. So I didn't want to end up in an orange jumpsuit on one oh, of the yeah. ISIS videos. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, that whole thing, it, it proved what we were going after was they saw that we just care. We're here because we give a shit. Right. Bottom line. You don't have you're not getting the support you deserve. Um, we don't raise a lot of money because we're still small. But this is our intentions. And they loved it. And we have good relationships with them now. I talk to a few of the commanders probably once a week. They give me updates on the situations going on. And, you know, of course, now the U.S. government's reached out. And they're like, hey, they, they <laughs> like you guys. So we uh, we want to get involved. And, you know, we're working with the U.S. side as well. But we're very upfront. Like, hey, this is for them. You know, yeah. we're, we're not going to play your games. Uh, not not that they play games. But we're not, we're. This is a true relationship. Well, there's, there's a bureaucratic system that you end up yes. having to go to within the military. I think that's what you're describing, as opposed to just having a personal relationship with, yes. with a totally different objective. Yes, um, yes. And so how, how did the logo and everything come about? Because aren't they using that as well? Or did you take their logo? or Because I thought... We, we use so the the death cards uh, Lauren created. Uh, he did a great job on that. It yeah, was pretty they, awesome. they were. 
and then the ISOF logo itself is theirs. Okay. Uh, but what's cool about and what's unique, and this is one of the things that really gets missed because it's social media, it's digital media. Right. Uh, it's a lot of posting and text instead of conversation. Is everything that we design, we vet through ISOFT guys that are our friends on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We're like, hey, what do you, take this to the guys and see if they like it. Yeah. And, you know, a few days later, we're like, hey, everybody loves it. Or, hey, change this, change that. And then we have some uh, Iraqis and uh, Arabs uh, that are American uh, that have no ties to that that also put in their, you know, like making sure that, you know, the flags on the right side or the left side and, you know, all those little different yeah, things that you don't really think about. But this like Lauren yeah. Smith, like the victory sticker. Sorry to cut it. The victory sticker is a prime example. Yeah. Uh, Lauren worked his butt off on that thing. Right. And finally get to the final product, and I was like, wait a minute, man, is that the right or left hand? And he looked at it, because I'm sitting there trying to figure out if it's yeah. like, you know, looking at my own hands, like, right. I'm pretty sure that's the left hand, man. We can't be doing a sticker that's the left hand. And he's like, holy crap. And, you know, <laughs> then we asked TJ, he's like, hey, man, this, he redesigned it. We're like, hey, we changed it to the right hand. He's like, oh, it wouldn't have mattered. Nobody would have even caught it. <laughs> but, but he, he thought it was cool that. You took that much time. We took yeah, yeah, we do, took it in the consider that, hey, this is not the right way to do this. And it goes back into the cultural awareness. And, you know, that's why after all this kicked off, we've been approached by a lot of other Iraqis and people from other countries saying, hey, we want to do this. Because could you help us in, from security to construction to branding? Can you help us? Because we know that you're not here just to make a dollar. Right. You know, right. and they're, they're inviting us because they see that we care. And uh, our only stipulations when people talk to us about that, we're approached by uh, security companies or whoever, consulting companies, is we'll sign a contract, but just know that any contract that we help you get in that country, in your main contract, not as a sub, but as a prime, you have to donate 25% to a charity that helps Iraq. Right. You, can't, you can't keep all the profit. And it shuts a lot of doors on us, but we don't give a shit because that's – we don't care about the money. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, so let's people, talk. Let's talk about a little bit yeah. about what it is that you guys are doing because you mentioned it slightly, and I but I want to hit back on it because you yeah. talked about helping the families, and I think that too earned a lot of respect because when you're going in there and you're not trying to help promote them individually, or the government sees the fact that you're not trying to arm or do things that may circumvent some of the things that they're trying to do in the relationships and stuff like that, but you're going and you're helping my. Uh, my comrade's uh, spouse or children yes. that has fallen, yes. um, that's going to mean something more to me. Yes. And and so when we first explained that when I was in country um, with a couple of commanders, they were kind of blown away as well. Like, really? I was yeah. like, yeah, I need your help because legally there's a lot of loopholes you can imagine. Oh, sure. Where, where I'm, I'm raising money and it's going to foreign nationals. Um so, as you can imagine, nobody wants it going into their own hands and this and that. Oh, so, yeah. uh, we, we have a savings account now because we're still working through that process. But we were able to do little things. So, the idea is, like, while I was there, for instance, they went through and I was like, hey, we, we knew that one of the very respected guys passed away. And we're like, hey, we want to help out his family. He's like, well, his family's fine. He was very respected. You know, he's very well taken care of. However, there's these three guys. Their wives had no family left. Mm. So that was their breadwinner. Their their kids are not old enough or female or not old enough. 
to support the family. So they are literally have no way to pay their bills. And that's what we do is we can step in and say, hey, here's $1,000, pay their, their electrical bill or their rent for however long. Here's this. Um, now, again, that gets into some diff- difficult financial areas. So what we do is we save up the money. And in between is, you know, we just send a ton of toys and flags and little little things, uh, some winter clothes. It got... It, it finally got there just now, so they can't use them until next year. But we did send a, a ton of supplies over, and the kids loved it. And um, so that's what we're about is helping the families. The soldiers are taken care of for the most part. Uh, the government does have a martyr fund, but it's very small. As you can imagine, they don't have an economy. Right. So right. you know, just like in Afghanistan, people will talk about how uh, you know Afghanistan's economy has grown by a factor of six since we've gone in. But it's also a false sense of reality because it's all war money. It's there's no actual economy, and if anybody's done any type of uh, work in Afghanistan, as far as like an engineer perspective, is most of your material comes from outside of the country anyway. Most of it comes from Pakistan or China, right. uh, even some Iranian. Um, you can't help it, you know, where your supplies come in for the most part. But so that's what we do. So now that we're in that window, is so knowing that we're not making a big impact right now. Um, well, I can't say that because to see in the kids' faces, man, I was going to say, you know, yeah, it's it's pretty cool, man. I, I got to admit, I got some videos from the uh, the guys that sent, they went to the schools and gave out everything. But uh, so I teamed up while you know, shortly after I got the phone call from Lauren and we started rolling with RTB hard. Um, Kevin Treader from Warrior Woven called me, and we we go way back. And yes, you can imagine there's a million stories of why we're so tight, right? Um, and Warrior Woven, for those who don't know, makes the uh, <clears throat> oh god, what the, what's the headgear? The the winter the head- mini, yeah. yeah the, thank the, you, god. The, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they call them it's a, a beanie, a beanie whatever you go right, right, right. But they call it a mini. It's so, a it's yeah. a knit uh, beanie cap and stuff that uh, that he puts together, and he handcrafts all of them. Yes, and so he called me to tell me about what he was doing. And yeah, you know what's funny is I've been following it. Yeah, and you know when he when I first saw it, I was like, oh man, Kevin nailed it. Like this is cool, and then he then I saw his branding. I, I watched it through the whole process, and then I saw his branding, and I was like, "Dog, dude, he nailed this! Like this is cool." So as soon as he started offering it for sale, of course I, I threw money in as fast as I could. Like I I need one of these in my life. So he called me up, and he's you know explaining where he wants to go, and he wants to do this whole uh, knitter's training course. He wants all of his products to maintain hand being hand knitted. No, he'd already been approached by some big companies, but he oh, didn't sell imagine. out. Yeah. yeah, and he didn't sell out, and he refuses to sell out. Matter of fact, yeah, I'm gonna, he may or may not have purchased some land recently in Colorado to continue <laughs> this whole farming, like right. farm-to-table knitting material type of thing. Uh, he, everything he does is um, to help the veteran community. And so he called me up. Long, <laughs> I keep getting off the point. I am... I say, I want you to be involved. He's like, I know what you do. I've been following you for years with everything I've been doing with the World's My Country Foundation. And if anybody gets it, you get it. And I was like, right on, man. He's like, we're going to change the world by knitting. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, you know what? Yes, we are. Yeah. And the fact yeah. like, he's like, and that's why you're the guy. Cause you don't look at me like, um, 
messed up in the head. <laughs> so, you know, we teamed up there, and he flew me out to Colorado with a few other guys, and I learned a knit. So the idea going forward is now I currently help him, uh, not nearly enough. Uh, I don't pull nearly as much weight as I should be right now. And, and uh, he's going to laugh because – he got on to me a while back about it. Hurt my feelings. But, uh, <laughs> Hurt your feelings. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, I want to see you do the ranger panties, though. That'll be uh, quite interesting. <laughs> Knitted ranger panties. <laughs> right? <laughs> so now moving forward, the concept is once I, I've maintained the standard for the uh, Warrior Woven's meanies, is I'll go forward to places like Iraq and Afghanistan. And we've already identified refugees and widows in both countries. So when I head over in July, June, July, depending, you know, when Ramadan ends, uh, I'll be teaching a seminar uh, or uh, conducting nice. a seminar on how to make Warrior Wovens product. Right. And then in the background, we'll be establishing a business for them and doing taking the ice off mold. All right. We, we're very good at assessing leaders. We're very good at, you know, identifying and, and coming up with systems that work. So we're going to take that same mentality and develop a business platform for them. And it starts with warrior woven, but it's not, we're not just doing it in hats. Eventually we'll bring in other companies that want to expand in this and basically outsource for the right reasons. Well, you know, uh, and, combat flip flops, right? Grip yes, over. Yes. So, I mean, that's a similar model. So a lot of people are not familiar with what they're doing. And then, and not only in, uh, some, some don't agree with what they're doing, but I mean, what they're doing is they look at it that those countries in which we do free trade with, we're not going to go to war with. And so what, what they, their whole thing is, is that women, in, especially in this culture, are very important. And if we can influence somehow the women, maybe they're going to take the next generation yes. and raise them in the right way and such. And so uh, it's important to send these women, these girls to school. And so whenever you're buying a combat flip-flops flip-flop you're yep. actually supporting a young lady being able to go to school get educated and of course they realized that how they became uh educated or were able to go to school was through this process sounds very yep. similar to what you're trying to do here yes yeah yes. it's the and same kind of model at least uh of, yes yeah. and and that's where it is uh you know when a combat flip-flop came out that just like we're doing we're growing and learning uh of how we want to adapt um I talked to Griff a couple times. Hopefully, we're, we're going to have a collaboration in the future. Um, very humble guy for as success, successful as he is. Got to keep learning uh, dude, though. You know. What's that? You got to keep learning how to say dude right, though. Yeah, right? <laughs> Mine's bro, so I, I'm a bro, bro guy. There you go, there He's you a go. dude good. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bro guy. But um, I think he likes bro, too, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I share that. And the good, you know, the difference is, is, you know, there's a lot of they have the programs that help specific people. We're we're looking to build the business within itself and they own it. Yeah. We and and what we pride ourselves on is once we establish the business, is now we're doing a contract with them. And it's their business doing products for Warrior Woven. Right. And then we also provide through other SF uh, and other volunteers and special forces individuals they'll come over and uh, provide mentorship for business and you know guys with master's degrees coming over and helping out hey look at this this and this and yeah. let's we can cut rates here and to the point where we want to establish instead of getting the materials from pakistan all right we're, we have an alpaca farm now and this is what you're doing and grow it to that extent the whole nine yards and it's great 
we're hitting the economy or we're hitting it from a socioeconomic problem instead of just dropping bombs on the problem. Oh, absolutely. And I know a young lady who actually owns a nonprofit that she did this over in Africa. She was struck by, you know, the poverty and struggles and stuff that the people had there. And, and rather than, you know, trying to find ways to channel through her nonprofit money there, what she taught them to do is become farmers with as little water as they can and as small as a footprint. What is a way that we can now help them become um, something that they already know how to do in terms of farming, but do it in a way in which they can now earn a profit and help sustain their community to build yes. schools, to to do those types of things. And so what she'd actually taught them is how to raise coffee beans. Now, it's been about two years or so. And for those who don't know, you get the soil and the whole bit and, and raising coffee beans. It takes a period of time before you can actually have coffee that now can be um, used and drank and everything. So they're, I think they're probably just about at the stage now where they can start taking the coffee beans and potentially selling them to businesses here in the U.S. And uh, I know a lot of guys have reached out to me and said, hey, man, you know, I'd love to buy my coffee through that kind of channel because that's just yes. a perfect setup, you know. And, yes. and they, then they started creating byproducts and stuff from that, too. You know, they had uh, the bags and stuff that they, you know, that they had and such or some of the tools. And, and they were finding ways to make jewelry and stuff until yes. they could sustain themselves, you know, to the point where they could sell the coffee. But you, like you said, you're bringing the economy up and helping them sustain themselves and not just trying to find a way to channel, you know, money. It, it's, yes. it's not about that, you know, and that's a very cool model. And that's, you know, I think we're going to be successful. Uh, I do too. You know, it's you, when you have gentlemen like Griff, for instance, uh, and just for y'all that don't know, Griff is the guy that owns and started Combat Flip Flop. Uh, one, like, as you can imagine, I have the utmost respect for the guy. And I have, it's small circles. So plenty of my friends are like, hey, let's, let's, let me get you in touch with Griff. I like where you're going with this. And I'm like, hey, you know, I don't want to, let me, I want to step on my own, or I want to, I want to stumble on my own yeah, so I can sure. learn a little bit at first. And then finally, uh, February of this year, one of my closest friends in the world is like, stop being an arrogant, egotistical or closed minded or stubborn. Sorry. Is the word <laughs> I, that was the adjective I was looking for, the stubborn ass and get a hold of him. You have the guy, you have friends that know him, get a hold of him. And I was like, all right, well then I reached out to a couple of my friends. I'm like, Hey man, do you, you know, Playing, beating around the bush. Do you know Griff? Could you? And finally, I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I got on the website, looked up some stuff, blew him up on Instagram, and sure shit, he he responded. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, we had a long talk, and he's just such a great guy. He is. I mean, he he's is. so busy, and he still took the time. And we've talked a few times since, and we have some some scheming plans of mine that, that he's going to see if he can help me with. Because uh, my my legacy, because you know I own the World's My Country Foundation as well, and um, that's my nonprofit that I'm, I still have to get my five hundred one Charlie. Um, I personally, that's one hundred percent on me. I cannot blame anybody else on planet Earth, but myself for not having my five hundred one Charlie because I've been putting it off for so long. But um, that's where we're moving for. I've got it through the state of Texas. I'm in the right direction of getting my uh, awarded my tax exemption. But my legacy, I really wanted to be the, I want to start the first ever global humanitarian adventure race. Yeah. And think about the amazing race, but instead of just going to different countries and doing 
disrespecting cultures because I I've watched the show for years and yeah, it's still. I used like, to love that show. I I don't care for it as much now, but. It was much better early as most shows are, and then there's a yeah. period of time where you know you can tell the directors or whatever say, "Oh, let's change it up now. Let's do you know." Oh, let's be edgy, and it, like yeah. it's not as a as a world traveler, uh, I pride myself in that old school. You know, you accept the culture. Like I I, I travel because I want to experience culture. I right. don't travel because just because I want to go see a building. Right. Don't get me wrong, I, I see the building while I'm there. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's all about immersing yourself. I yes. mean, you know, if you're if you're going to go live in Germany or, you know, someplace like that and you're in the military, then try to try to at least live on the economy or immerse <laughs> yes. yourself into the economy. Yes. Don't stay on the damn base all the time, yes. you know. And that that's what I would try to inspire. So that's what I want my legacy to be is we have this global humanitarian adventure race and the concept's easy. Everything about it is 100% about helping people or bettering planet Earth. And it starts from a website where you log in and you become digital pen pals because the teams cannot know each other. You basically, you can't have 10 Americans competing in this competition. You can't wow. have 10, whatever. It has to be a team of, we're breaking the world up into five, five or six areas, um, depending on the math as we start to plan this out. Uh, and then you have to have two people from each region and it all has to be met through pin pal. And then we, wow. you know, you'll, you'll apply through the website. If you get accepted, then you get access to the website. Then you start talking to people around the world. Uh, you develop your team. Then once you develop your team, uh, obviously to travel around the world is going to take a lot of money. Sure. So we're going to need big corporate sponsors. So I'm a huge, just so, just for clarification, I'm a huge, uh, Andrew Carnegie oh, fan. Yeah. I love the concept, his mentality of, you know, it's, I have, basically he had everything he knew he was taking care of for life. So why just get rid of the excess? Right. And so I, I love that idea. I haven't done it correctly. I made a ton of money when I lived in Dubai and I blew it all. Like I went to Nepal, I built some villages there and I blew it all helping for the right reasons. I don't regret one bit of it. The only sure. thing I, only thing that I wish I would have changed a little bit was I would have invested so I could continue to do that and right. be self self sufficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where this whole concept comes from. It's those hey, that you just came that, full circle. That experience. Yeah, it just came full circle. You know of what you just described there, of what you're trying to do, and so you're taking your experiences between SF, your humanitarian, your selfless service, and wanting to give back and find ways to do that. You found a way to take all those things in your passion of what you truly make up you, Brian, and trying to find ways to then infuse that into some business that that does just what you are and who you are and, exactly. and lives on your strengths. I, yeah, I think it's great. I appreciate it, man. And, and that's where it comes from, brother, is, you know, I've, I've lived a, a very blessed life. Mm -hmm. I've had some amazing experiences in combat and outside of war. I've, I've had a pretty interesting life so far. Like one of my uh, author buddies jokingly put it because he knows I'm a huge fan and I actually have a signed copy is, uh, just like Forrest, I'm like he considered me the uh, Forrest Gump of of combat because I just happened to be in these stupid situations that <laughs> ended up being just famous. Bit me. <laughs> yeah, just stupid famous situations, but it wasn't because I was great. It was just because like I was there and it freaking happened. So just like Forrest Gump, and uh, so oh, that's an inside joke, but yeah. I, I wear it with pride. I love it. And so taking all this life experience and say, look, all right. How can we inspire others to do these things? I'm not saying that you should you should give up your coffee 
to give money forward, but there are things that you could do to help out. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. Just like my donation, like I just kicked off the, the I worked on it for hours on uh, hours on end. I just kicked off the new World's My Country website. And uh, basically what my theory is, and I'll get back to the race in a second, is Black Combat Flip-Flop did, I want to be a brand more than a charity. I want you to see my clothes and know what it means, but have the clothes to back it up. And be like, hey, I wear the shirt because I like the shirt. I don't even really know what the foundation is doing. It's kind of, I know they give money or do something. I don't care if you know, but I, I want, if you're going to give to me, because we're in such hard times nowadays, I'm, we're not drastic hard times, but you know, we don't have the economy that we've had in the past. So if you're going to give me money, I at least want you to have something in return. And I also don't want you to have a cotton t-shirt that's crap. You right, know, right, I want right. you to have a quality product that you can wear. So we launched that and that's everything we do is just that mentality is that we're constantly giving back because my life's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. You know, I have a nice house. I have a nice life. Uh, vehicle paid off this month. You know, that whole, <laughs> I've downsized everything that I can. I grow most of my own vegetables nowadays. You know, we hunt. You're not in the tiny our, house, are you, Brian? You know, no, 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 oh, no, okay, no. Okay, okay. I do have a 72 Winnebago I'm restoring. So <laughs> that's okay. a whole other story. Okay. Yeah, that's but so back on the race, uh, taking that mentality is, all right, we want corporations to agree with what we're doing and we want them to sponsor what we're doing. So we're going to try to get green, uh, or not try to, we're going to get green point certified and for people don't know what green points are is for companies that impact the environment, they can be awarded green points by organizations that have been proven to be environmental conscious. Never heard of it, but I'm, it's, this so, is all good. Yeah. So that concept, we go to Shell, you know, or a company and say, hey, we want you to sponsor a team. And this is what the sponsorship requires. And they can, you know, uh, pick what parts they want to sponsor, flights, or sponsor the whole team's whole event, whatever they want to do. And then we'd help them in return from write-offs to green points, whatever. But part of that requirement also is if you're going to sponsor us, we have a requirement for you to sponsor us, which is – you have to give us two real world problems that your organization faces. And then the way that you pick the team that you sponsor is they had to do a research paper on one of those problems of how they would solve that problem. For instance, you had an oil spill that just happened off of Africa's coast and you know, you have to solve a way in which um, you can encapsulate that or solve the erosion of the beach and the yes. animal, the effect on animals. And yes, anything or even how can we get the message out that we're doing these programs anything of this is a problem that we're facing and help us solve it yeah so then these these people will go back and do their research and actually do a research paper and that's what the sponsorship is based on is actual research done by the individuals then they the team parachutes in to solve the the problem, the one that selected? No, or? no. So that's just just to help move things forward. Gotcha. Uh, as you can imagine, that's education uh, for writing research or you know experience in writing research papers. It's it, who knows if the, you don't have the actual solution by one of these contestants. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's a million things that come out of that. So then brings to the next point where the teams are deployed to their regions, and once they're there, so they won't travel the world once once they go to a location the whole race for them is in that location. So you're going to have 10 different teams in di 10 different places around the world. 
and for however many weeks or months the competition goes. So what we'd do is we'd be, say we're in Zimbabwe, and we know that you're going to go to this village. So we've already met with we're doing the, the UWSF thing. We've already met with the village elder. We know what's going on. We've established a point criteria. And we know that the main issues that they do. So you have a baseline of what you have to, to do while you're there. And it's all based on helping, whether it's help dig a well, build a house, get a cat out of a tree. All these little things count. The whole thing is, is you helping. And then if you're just there just to help, that takes away from you. You know, the whole thing is inspiring people to be humanitarians. Right. So throughout that first stage, for instance, they're there helping and somebody from not the actual organization. We're going to have our own little, you know, our eyes everywhere telling us what's going on. And you get points on the whole thing. Everything that you do, there's it's a point system. So those points count to what's going on for the overall competition but it also accounts for how much support you get for the challenge at the end of each phase. So let so, me see if I if I understand this correctly. You have, let's say you have, I don't know, five teams that might be deployed at any given time in different mm -hmm. places throughout the globe. And each of these teams are working collectively together to solve the issues of their particular area. They're earning points based on solving those issues as well as additional value points that are provided by the local people on how yes. well they uh, built those relations, were effective to their opinion and their perception of how they helped them. And um, they're competing, though. A, a team in Africa is competing against a team in Australia that's competing against a team in, you know, Japan or whatever. Yes. So they're not competing individually themselves within that continent. No, no. Okay. They're, they're, okay. They're, they're helping all over the world simultaneously. And uh, exactly. So they're just that. They're building points. And whatever they do is more points. We just want to see change happening. Yeah. So then they, they get to the challenge and, you know, just the example I always give like the life skills challenge of how do we get across this river when we only have four boards and two, you know, however many points you earned right. during that phase is how much support you get to cross that challenge or make that cross that river during that challenge. So that gives it the aspect of having fun, just like you like in the TV shows and everything. Right. And, uh, they don't solve the challenge. They don't get to eat that night. Something like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, but the cool thing is, is everything's going to be based on, you know, just like the, the, the good points of things like amazing races. We want to put money into the economy. We're going to be hiring everybody from within. Um, but then they're going to go to another place in that country. So their whole – what's cool about it is it's, it's, it's inspiring the, the world is my country. The whole concept of the world is my country is, you know, tear down the barriers. You're going to have people from all over the world competing for that country to win something because that comp what you're competing for is a grant to that the schools in that, uh, that country or whatever program, you know, obviously it's at higher levels at that point because we're, we're talking about being with ambassadors and state levels. Sure. So – that money would be granted to them. So the idea, the whole concept is we're going to have fun. We're going to make change. But you're going to do it like, for instance, since the uh, Amazing Race kicked off, they've had 26 years of giving out a million dollars a year. Oh, my God. That's Has 20... it been that long? Yes. Yes. Or 26 seasons, put it that way. Oh, 26 yeah. seasons. That's Sorry, right, because they did have a couple double, se double years. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So uh, – that's $26 million that we could have put into something else uh, instead of just somebody's pockets. Yeah. And who knows and, what they made overall from yes, sponsorship. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is, all right, 
you're you, as businesses and organizations, you're doing great things. People are selling, you know, you buy what was it, five million dollars thir- for thirty seconds for the Super Bowl this year? Yeah, 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 something or like whatever. that. Ridiculous, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that money is going into people's pockets, and nothing wrong with that. I'm not an anti-capitalist guy. Yeah. I just think that we can tweak capitalism the way it is, and start impacting the world. Right. And make something. And the reason I wanted to be a legacy is think about thirty seasons of the race for humanity. Yeah. Think about the change that's gone all over the world for 30 seasons of this, this show. And again, it's, it's, it's what I want to see happen just because it, it, it's what I live for, you know? Yeah, uh, no, I, I think it's a, a great concept because I think not enough people get outside their bubble. And I've mentioned that before in previous podcasts. And I can say that for myself. It's one of the reasons why I left and got in the army, uh, joined the army is because I wanted to get out of the bubble that I was living in, in a little, little town in Florida and, um, you know, and I started seeing as, as I served within the military in a 20 plus year career of uh, different uh, people and how they live and those types of things. But I'll tell you another thing that you just uh, struck on while you were talking about this and about how um, you want people to experience other cultures and understand those types of things. And that there are a lot of people we're a lot more different. Uh, we're a lot more the same than we are different is that <clears throat> I was watching a television show one time and it was about uh, DNA and, you know, the, everybody talks about how, you know, we're so much similar in terms of DNA and there's 99.98% of us are all the same. But it didn't really resonate with these people until they took people from all different, you know, countries and such. And they, um, you know, held, had them tell their story and, and, and such. And then they gave them a DNA test. Now, I think this is National Geographic that did this. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you saw this show that I'm describing. Yeah. And, and uh, for those who, who haven't heard of this, what they did is they then shared their results. And some of these people who thought that they were of some admixture actually turned out that they're something entirely different and um, or that they were 50 percent or 30 percent of something that they never even realized that they were. And at the end of the show, what they did is they brought them all together and they had these, you know, they had the globe laid out on the ground and they had people stand where uh, the countries that they were from, you know, some were in Germany, some were over in Japan, some were over in the U.S. and, you know, U.K. and all these different places and some were in Africa and, and such. And then all of a sudden they said, OK, all of you who are of whatever, <clears throat> I want you to rotate now and I want you to shift over, you know, to this location. And they kept doing that until eventually everybody ended up in the same spot. <laughs> And what they tried to demonstrate is, is that over time we left from one place and spread out. And because of that, we all think we're different, but we're all the same when you boil it down. But it's, we've let so many different things get in the way. And I don't want to sound all kind of crazy and everything here, but that's exactly what you're trying to send the message home of. It sounds like is to say, let's start helping each other rather than fighting with one another. Let's start looking at ways in which we can, um, realize that we're more similar than we are different. It's it's a huge message. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I could talk for hours on this. I won't get into it, but <laughs> I could you know, that's, that's the, the world's my country is just that. It's based on Thomas Paine's quote: "The world's my country, all mankind are my brethren, and to do good is my religion." And as soon as I heard that, I was I knew that that's everything that I aspired to be. That's the way I live my life. You know, just like on my board uh, for the foundation. We have atheists, we have Christians, we have Muslims, we have people from all over the world on my board. Just the, the board panel that I have, it, it shows what we're made up of. 
Um, and we have the discussions, you know, me and Dan, he's an atheist and I believe in God. Uh, we have long discussions. It's all very respectful because we don't let the boundaries that are there impede us. Right. I respect the boundary. I understand the reason we have boundaries 100%. Um, but at the same time, I don't have anything against anybody in Russia. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're looking at war in Russia, and I literally have nothing against anybody there. So, yeah. <laughs> like, it yeah. blows my mind that these things happen. And we, we had these hatreds towards people that you have no idea why. Because the government said some things that a couple people, just like in our own government, we can all agree, whether you like Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump, that you think that he makes most of your decisions for the U.S., but that's how little you know the government then. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. The, but we, you know, we understand that the government makes the decision or is sending our troops to war. The people on the continent of the United States are not like, hey, we've all voted, we're going to war. No, it doesn't work that way. Just like Russia or North Korea or China or any of the countries that supposedly hate us, and some of them probably do actually have some people that do dislike us, but it's the same mentality of they. If we hung out, just like in the in the National Geographic show, we'd probably get along. And if you you took down the barriers and say, "Hey, no, we're just people hanging out," there's a good chance that you're going to get along with them. Oh yeah, most definitely. And I I think that uh, I was I thought she was going to take this down a different different path for a second there, Brian. I thought she was <laughs> going to get into the popular vote and the electoral vote and the whole thing. No, 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 I was no, thinking, no, Oh my no, God, no, man, no. don't go down that direction, man. No, not at all, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I voted for Keanu Reeves and Matthew McConaughey. So. Okay, okay, there you go. <laughs> no, not Matthew McConaughey. Please don't. <laughs> Those I'm a com- Texan, bro. <laughs> okay, yeah. Those commercials? Oh, my God. Oh, So, all right. So, everybody's going to be listening to this thing, Brian. They're going to go, okay, how can I get involved? You, you mentioned a couple of different things here. Obviously, Raise the Black, but then you also have your foundation and such as well that you're starting up that you just described. What are the ways in which people can reach out and give some kind of helping hand? And some, in some cases, it's going to be, hey, I want to be a part of this in some capacity, and it may not be financially. Um, so, are there other ways in which people can uh, provide some kind of level of assistance today? Or what, what's the way? We, we have everything that you can imagine right now. We're small. Uh, there's a lot of late. Uh, we do a lot of databasing. I, I know data is a sensitive subject right now with Facebook on trial. But <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, right. I kid, I kid. Yeah, they're probably but, listening uh, to us right now. And <laughs> so no, I, uh, we put together lists of people, volunteers. We, we get their information if they can't financially support us. Um, we're in countries all over the world, uh, usually hotspots. Um, we do a lot in conflict zones uh, just because we have the experience and knowledge how to get in there and move around uh, the human train in some of these environments um, and governmental, you know, the, the whole nine yards. Yeah. So things that people can do is, you know, you can buy the products. You can you can go to any of our websites. Um, what are they? Uh, black is for RTB and ISOF www.twimcf, the World Is My Country Foundation, is the abbreviation there. So you can also support us at www.miseryincorporated.com. And then our affiliates. We work with the Green Beret Project, uh, which is an East Coast-located organization that works with inner-city youth. Uh, All of our distributing from overseas 
stuff for Warrior Woven and other businesses will go through the inner city youth. Uh, they're going to be part of a program that helps eventually over the next five to six, uh, five to 10 years. Um, we could take a kid that was possibly going to be on the streets and, you know, have a bad path of life to being an ambassador in another country for the world's my country foundation. Uh, so those are some of the products that were, uh, programs that we're developing right now. Uh, warrior woven, obviously, uh, it's an amazing product. Um, and if you can't financially buy anything, um, there's also the fact that just go to my, uh, the TWIMCF website and sign up for the, the newsletter and then message me there. Um, I'm on Instagram as well through the same names, Raise the Black, uh, the world's uh, TWIMCF, the Bearded Brian is my personal, uh, I get behind at times, but I still try to message every single person back that messages me. Uh, there's a million ways to reach out to us. Um, I also have a Patreon account cause I do not, I didn't retire. I just got out of the military and, uh, as of Thanksgiving last year, I walked away from everything that I knew because it was taken away from my passion. So I quit all my jobs and all my contracting and all that. And my sole focus now is my foundation. And, uh, one of the things that I try to do with the foundation is I like 100% of the funds that go into the foundation to go to that. Just like raise the black. We do not make any money off of that. All the, all the things that we have, uh, all the money that comes in goes to the families or the expansion of the products. Uh, I do not pull a salary. Billy does not pull a salary. Um, so I use Patreon to supplement my income. Uh, just because when you donate to something, we want you to donate to something. I give, I want to give the people that follow us, the distinct understanding that if you go to this site, which is on the website, the Patreon account link is there, is you know that that's going to me to sustain my life. And then if you buy a T-shirt, 100% of that goes to helping the projects. That way there's no gray area. No one's collecting this massive salary. Right. Uh, I won't get into the organizations that have, but I, we, we're transparent. Um, we try to, when you donate, we try to make sure that uh, we put everything on an Excel spreadsheet. And when you get to your money, so say you donated 50 bucks. I'm in Nepal. We're putting in the receipts into the Excel. We see that your $50 is what helped get us from the flat tire that we had on the bus to the bus station to get a new tire. Yada, oh, wow. Yada, yada. Is that, is that... Yeah, we try to be that really? transparent. Yeah, we, we've... We've had some hiccups as they're growing, as you can imagine, while we're traveling the world. But that's how transparent we try to be. It also lets you know that we might not get to that money for six months. Yeah. But then you get a picture of me sitting next to a flat tire like, hey, you helped me <laughs> fix this. And it, you realize like, holy crap, I'm still part of this organization. Yeah, that's very you know, cool. That's that personal uh, connection, though, that you really want from those yes. people who are contributing. We don't want to be an organization that you – we really – ISOF is a prime example of all this – is we care. Right. Uh, we, I respect the fact that you have faith that there's literally millions of organizations out there. Millions. You could donate to any of them and you chose me. I respect that more than you can ever, a podcast or words could ever explain. Yeah. Is I love the fact that you decided to support us. And it also lets me know that, hey, we're on the right path. Is, you know, there, there's great organizations doing great things. I'll never take away from any of that. But I want ours to be different. I want this to be something that truly, like I, I tell people all the time, you know, they're like, hey, what do you see yourself in five years? What do you see yourself? 
as your goal in life, and it's to change the world. And I literally want to change the world. I want to leave this place knowing that it's better because our organizations existed. I think you're going to do it. I appreciate that, I, man. I, I mean that because I think successful people find a way. Yeah. And, and, and you know, obviously you've been successful in your own right, and uh, I, I think that you can accomplish this. I appreciate that. And that's what, you know, you, you have your days, man. You have your days where you doubt everything, sure. where everything's tracking, just like getting some winter clothes to a rack. Everything was tracking. Next thing you know, I have five boxes on my front steps, and it's like – because whatever was wrong with the postage and, you know, and then, then it gets <laughs> right. there and it, it gets lost and, you know, but luckily it made it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you always have the signs and you always have the little things that let you know you're on the right path. And, but those little know, things all, mean so much when you do get them. Do. I know they, because I, I, I have the same thing. There's so many times I, I have the same types of doubts and, and wondering and everything. And then all of a sudden I'll get that message. And that message seems to fall at the right time. You know, yes, yes, and you just know then. All right, yep. Keep driving on. This know? is the path, and like I said, you know, it's call it what you will, depending on your beliefs and religion. You know, I, I'm I'm a God fearing man. Uh, I'm not a religious man. I don't believe in organized religion, but I definitely believe in God, and I I think that you know I serve a different different purpose, and uh, not to take it into a different context or anything, but you know I I know what I do in life. I feel it. And unlike a lot of people, uh, I know I'm unique in the respect of that. I know my purpose in life without one, without one doubt. I've done a million things. I've experienced life all over the world, uh, from combat to just travel, just to, you know, I, I've done a, a lot of things. And the one thing that I know without a doubt is my purpose. And that's a good feeling. So no, it is I, a good feeling. And when you can put your purpose towards your job or make it your job, you've hit the Holy grail. Yeah. And that's, that's where I'm at, you know, and it's, you know, we're tweaking some things to make sure that we can be successful and more importantly, self-sufficient. Yeah. And we don't want to be the people, you know, America's definitely dealing with uh, donor, uh, donor fatigue right now. Yeah, sure. And, uh, I mean, there's been a million crises. So you look at our own country alone. Hurricanes, fires, earthquakes, uh, you know, we have responsibilities to help with who we are. And, you know, just like Andrew Carnegie talks about, it's, it's our responsibility. We have it. Um, so it doesn't really – it's not even a question. Luckily, I'm with a person that understands this. Without a question, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, if I don't get to buy this new thing, this new trinket that I don't really need, it's okay. I don't need it. You know, I've done a lot of downsizing. I got rid of a lot of things in my life because it's not really. I'm not saying people need to go back to a simplistic area or a time period, but you know, for me, that's the answer. You got the '72 uh, Winnebago, man. What else do you need? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually <laughs> quick on that, man. I've got it for 500 bucks. It's what? complete. Yep. I just got to rebuild the interior, and we're gonna drive it from Texas to Argentina, and oh we're gonna film the, the whole trip is based on. Um, orphanages and organizations from texas all the way down to argentina the whole trip's based on helping and uh every ass every leg of it so it's gonna be an epic journey man i'm pretty excited about it you think about where you came you know and and just you know talking and wrapping up everything we talked about and you talk about how you had that three and a half hour phone call with lauren and then where you are today where your mindset's at where your vision's at and how you've embraced this passion it's pretty cool yeah 
I appreciate it, man. Uh, you know, it, it was a long road, and not to drag it out any further, man. Uh, you know, I saw some things in war I didn't agree with. I didn't think, you know, we beat our heads against the wall doing the same thing over and over. Um, I was inspired by a very close Af- Afghan friend of mine who was very successful in life. Uh, he went from selling almonds to becoming a multimillionaire, and he still gave back to the people, and that was a huge inspiration in my life. And then, uh, you know, there, there's a million stories I could tell, man, but it all led me to this path. And then, you know, I was building villages in Nepal, I helping some people. It, it's just I, my first trip to help people is when I realized, like, this is my life. Yeah, this is my life. This is my calling. And I'm lucky and I'm I'm grateful for it. I'll tell you that, brother. And I truly appreciate you letting me talk your ear off, man. No, man. Ashley laughs every it. time that. Every time some, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do a podcast with uh, this organization. And she's like, oh, man, they don't know what they're in for. Because I can, <laughs> I, can I can talk to a wall, man. Well, I- <laughs> I'm the exact same way, by the way. So, you know, a typical <laughs> podcast that ends up going for us about 30, 40 minutes. I think we've been on for about an hour and 18 minutes or so already. So nice. good stuff. Yeah, I might have to make this a part one, part two, but it'll be a good show. <laughs> I truly appreciate it. Bro. Yeah, yeah, brother. Yeah, I, I wish you nothing but success. Uh, tell Lauren we missed him because I definitely would have wanted to uh, to catch up with him. We'll have to have you come back on, especially when you get seventy two uh, Winnebago going, and maybe we'll do a <laughs> maybe we'll do a live show from the roadside or something. Uh, oh, dude, yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the things that we offer with the the Patreon is you get a rewards and um, some of the higher end rewards is I I call you from location oh, there you like, go. I'll, call, See? I'll call you from around i don't care I, I mean, what do i have to lose like you know so uh, yeah it's, it's pretty cool though it, i like to interact with my my supporters uh, i think it's cool so yeah. yeah we'll definitely have to do it again well anyway we can collaborate let me know definitely want to do that uh in the future for sure uh wish you nothing but best all right brother thank you for listening to our podcast you can follow us on twitter Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code MENTORSFORMIL or MENTORS4MIL at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.